stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. like where you are, but um, uh, here in uh, the Big Apple, uh, it is uh, the middle of March. It's cold and raw and rainy and um, very windy. It really is just like weather in, that you would expect in early March. Having said that, who cares about the weather anymore except old people? I mean, who makes, who makes such distinctions? Does, does anybody... <laughs> Anybody under the age of 40 make any distinctions about the weather anymore? And maybe it was that way when uh, when I was younger, too. Did I think about uh, what the weather was like for a long time? When you're not alive for a long time, you don't make these comparisons. You just take it the way it is, right? So this is the—I would call this the new weather. 
This is uh, obviously all from global warming. And uh, maybe the fact that God is punishing us all, if you believe in God, for uh, our multifold, uh, multiple, many multiple sins of all sorts, of every kind. Getting near the end, the end of days, right? Well, <clears throat> really, though, extraordinary weather. So I could just say that without comparison, you know, I'm comparing it rather, just extraordinary weather. Um, what else is going on? How many people raise your hands? If uh, now I know most of the, most of you listen to this uh, days, in fact, weeks later. So <clears throat> this is only for those people who are listening live right now. Uh, raise your hands if you're going to get up at 4 a.m. tomorrow and watch the royal wedding. I mean, um, who gives a shit? I mean, uh, the royal wedding. The royal wedding. This is uh, this is the uh, the uh, the greatest running reality show in the Western world is probably the royal family in England. That's the great reality show, right? Um, we once had some experience with it personally over here uh, until we had a revolution, and then we had a real jolt of an experience after that. It's uh, but this this reality show, you know, this is uh, the real world. Is this the real world? Now, this guy, the Prince Harry or whatever his name is, is marrying um, the star or some actress, I should say. Everybody's called a star these days. When you read about Stormy Daniels in the paper, it's always she's a porn star. I don't know about a porn star. She's a, an actress in pornographic films. Uh, but it's always a porn star. That sounds better, right? Anyhow, uh, this woman, Megan Markle, who, of course, I never heard of. Why should I? Uh, was in some reality show, which I never heard of, and why should I? Um, I don't know how Prince Harry, the grandson, sorry, the grandson of Queen Elizabeth, um, managed to run into... Um, a second-rate actress on a second-rate reality show somewhere in the United States. How, how on earth did he see this? Was he, was he a regular fan of this reality show, whatever it was called? You know, surviving in the pickle factory with blood at midnight or whatever it was? I don't know. Uh, the, uh, uh, the Kardashian family on skateboards uh, going over the Himalayas, whatever the reality show was. He... Uh, Somehow ran into this woman. So now it's a big mess. And uh, it turns out that her family is, quote, unquote, trashy and uh, whatever. So um, that's, that's that the reality show is that, uh, that uh, the royal family still exists and that he's marrying somebody and who cares, right? This is the reality show. Meanwhile, in the, uh, what's very close to being the actual real world, depending on how spiritual you are and how, how you look at things. Uh, <clears throat> the Israelis and the Palestinians are at it really bad again. Not that they've ever ceased being at it, but uh, now as you've read in the papers and seen on TV and every other way that you get your news, it's a big, extraordinary, vicious, terrible, seemingly unsolvable mess again over there. And uh, <clears throat> there's things to say about it. This is, uh, there was an article, an op-ed piece in the New York Times the other day. And like I say, if I say I saw it in the paper, I mean the New York Times because in New York City, 
If you want to read the newspaper in New York City, you either read the New York Post or the Daily News or the New York Times. So this is generally from the New York Times. The other two I don't read, although the Daily News is not so bad. They hate Trump, and for good reason, of course. The New York Post is the Murdoch paper. Anyhow, it's the Fox News newspaper in New York. <clears throat> so this opinion piece is called A Grotesque Spectacle in Jerusalem, and it's by Michelle Goldberg, uh, who is a regular uh, op-ed columnist in the New York Times. And I'll read <clears throat> parts of it, <clears throat> or maybe all of it, but uh, then comment on it. On uh, Monday, it says here, this is from May 14th. On Monday, Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner, God help us all, presuming there's a God, and other leading lights of the Trumpist right gathered in Israel to celebrate the relocation of the American embassy to Jerusalem, a gesture widely seen as a slap in the face to Palestinians who envision East Jerusalem as their future capital. Is that, <clears throat> is that right? Is that realistic? I'm saying this. <laughs> is that realistic? Jerusalem it divided in half permanently. I mean, it's, it's sort of kind of unofficially divided right now. But the Israelis uh, are in control of that and portion of the uh, West Bank that they took over in the 1967 war. Uh, so they have uh, military jurisdiction and police jurisdiction over the East, um, East Jerusalem. <clears throat> but is it realistic? I mean, Jerusalem divided in half permanently with East Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Palestine. I mean, and by realistic, I mean, actually, is it workable? If, is Jerusalem, if Jerusalem, if all of Jerusalem, the whole city, becomes the capital of Israel eventually uh, by some, you know, negotiation or not, uh, how could it be divided in half? Or maybe keeping it divided in half is not just a permanent invitation to conflict. Maybe it's actually a permanent reason to find a way to live together. Maybe that's what's going on here with these two people in the first place. This is, uh, you know, fates or providences, uh, you know, illustration of how hard it is for two separate peoples or people who see themselves as two separate people and not so separate in some ways, though they would never admit it. This is uh, put them together <clears throat> under the worst possible circumstances with terrible, complicated histories behind them uh, and, um, and see if they can get along. I mean, really, it would mean that if, if, <clears throat> if, if East Jerusalem was the uh, permanent capital of, of uh, <clears throat> the ultimate state of Palestine and West Jerusalem was the permanent capital of the ultimate state of Israel— uh, <clears throat> there is a state of Israel now, not of Palestine. But it would mean if they wanted to get along, uh, including that's the you know both religions, they would have to fade as distinct opposing groups or identities, and come to realize that they're much more alike than they are different. And it's probably true. I mean, very true actually. And maybe that'll happen one day. So maybe this is just a. Uh, <sighs> Uh, a supernatural, uh, you know, um, example <clears throat> of what the worst could be and what the best could be. I don't know. And, of course, this brings up the whole seemingly uh, impossible problem of two states or one state. I mean, does it make any sense to say who has the greater claim? You know, the Jews claim Jerusalem as their ancient biblical capital. And the Palestinians, the Muslims, who are Muslims, also claim uh, at least part of Jerusalem as part of their own original holy location, you know, Dome of the Rock and 
all that other stuff, which I'm not familiar with, but I've heard about. <clears throat> and not to mention, of course, uh, that the, uh, the Christians who identify uh, Jerusalem as one of the holiest, if not the holiest location of Christianity, uh, the preaching in the temple, the Last Supper, the crucifixion, all that. I mean, it, if it really comes down to it, um, you can go back and back and back and back. If, uh, if you look back in what's known about history— or what is assumed about history based on the best, um, <clears throat> the best uh, historical research or presumptions, because it goes back far enough, there's really hardly any evidence. But um, you had a group of people who uh, lived in this area um, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago <clears throat> called the Canaanites. And the Canaanites were not Jews. The Jews, having been uh, freed by God, and led by Moses out of uh, Egypt, out of slavery. Before they were there, they were wandering around in various places. And I'm sure that there are 4,000 books and biblical scholars and everything could tell you where the Jews were in the Middle East, you know, where they, where they first were located. But um, when they escaped the Pharaoh and they were wandering around after 40, uh, 40 years in the desert, is that what it was, 40 years, um, they were led by the Lord uh, with a column of fire or a column of smoke ahead of them as a guide. They were led to the promised land. And the promised land is now where Israel is and all this land, this biblical territory of Israel. And they were led there. But there were people there, you know, all the way along this route. If you read the Old Testament, uh, people who were living in a certain place, and everybody, of course, is extremely tribal up until this day, and back then that's everything, right? Um, and their own religions, their own tribes. Uh, uh, the Israelis, who were interlopers, uh, who were uh, you know, massed together in this huge group, are going along, and uh, they're headed for the Promised Land. Uh, there's no, um, you know, there's no ways to, st- there's no um, rest stops on the highway here. <laughs> this is this is straight right for the promised land, and um, a lot of people didn't like this. They lived there, and uh, they just naturally resented people trooping over their land or through their land. And the Israelis, led by uh, Moses and then Joshua, who is the general, and with God backing them up, kind of like uh, uh, the capo, the tutti capos. He's, uh, you know, I mean, uh, they had to fight their way to get there, which is a lesson. Everything is a lesson in the Bible, of course, and everything is a lesson. So you want want the promised land, you got to fight for it. You don't just get it from Amazon next day delivery, right? The promised land is a hard thing, got to fight for it. So they wandered through this rough, uh, you know, uh, uncompromising territory, and um, they fight with everybody, and finally they show up in the Promised Land. And there's one last group of people in the Promised Land, the Canaanites, Canaanites. They lived there first. (laughs) And a lot of people say that the Palestinians, or people who are currently designated as Palestinians, um, were a lot, some of them anyhow, because there's so many um, nomadic groups and expulsions and rejoining of the land, that these people uh, were the original um, Palestinians, their original ancestors were the Canaanites. So they have the right to a certain amount of land, blah, 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 blah. But no, the Israelis, the Jews, the Jews say that God 
God, and you can't go you can't go further than that. You can't go higher. There's no higher authority. Supreme Court is diddly squat compared to God, right? So um, God said this is this belongs to you. Well, then what's a mid- who cares who's living there? Lizards, uh, scorpions, uh, Canaanites. Who gives a shit? No, it doesn't matter. It belongs to us because God says it belongs to us. So it says it right there in the Bible, which of course is uh, the gospel. Pardon the expression, truth. Anyhow. Um, so there it is. But when you get back, who owns what? Probably some lady in Africa who has been, as far as I know, identified as the first human being, owns it all. The descendants, whoever the descendants are of the first human being, own it all. So basically, we all, who are the descendants of this lady in Africa, who died whatever, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, or was born and died, or came to be evolved. We're all the descendants of this one woman and this one group of people, this one family in a cave or on the plain somewhere in Africa. So actually, the, the whole earth belongs to everyone. Uh, yeah, it belongs to God. But I mean, the whole earth really belongs to everyone. So, but, you know, people will argue about it because that's another complicated story. And, um, but this one state, two state thing, as far as one state, it seems to me that's ridiculous from an Israeli. And uh, sometimes you have to sort of, it depends, but most of the time you could transpose uh, Jewish for Israeli. Right? It's ridiculous from a Jewish, from the Israeli standpoint. I mean, considering the fact that they're surrounded by traditional enemies who, and have been forever, who would like nothing better despite recent bizarre alignments with the Saudis against Iran, uh, they would like nothing better to see every Jew destroyed and Israel ceased to exist, something that's um, taught and preached by imams all over the Middle East and in all the Saudi-established madrasas and schools, that Jews, not Israelis, Jews are evil. They're pigs and they're scum and everything, and they should be uh, exterminated. This is holy rote. Uh, for a lot of Muslims who live in the Middle East. Anyhow. I mean, security-wise, having one state uh, would be a self-destructive nightmare for the Israelis. And if there was one state and it was to be a true representative and equal democracy, uh, as the Israelis tend to have, although it's getting less so all the time, more right-wing and dictatorial, if there was a real representative and equal democracy, then there would be more Palestinians and not too long into the future than Jews voting and in the government. And it wouldn't be the one place on earth that was specifically envisioned and created as a safe haven for Jews. Not that it's so safe, obviously, but uh, and it's something that's needed now as much as it ever was. You know, maybe there were times when it was uh, way over the top, you know, the time of the Holocaust and the time of the Nazis. But all this anti-Semitism is starting again all over Europe, like the same old awful recurrent nightmare, right? So to have one state I think is a terrible idea. So it's, as far as two states, it also seems ridiculous and self-destructive to me to have Israel surrounded by two independent uh, parts of what would be the state of Palestine. I mean if the airports and the ports of Gaza, which are now – controlled, um, such as they exist, uh, by the Israeli military. If the airports and the ports of, uh, of Gaza as part of an independent Palestinian state uh, were open, then Hezbollah, Syria, Iran, and Allah knows who else 
uh, could build up unlimited military power a few miles away from Israel's border. And these are people who, from the very beginning of the creation of the state of Israel and before that, just when they were just Jews, uh, would like to uh, destroy every uh, Jew in Israel and erase the state of Israel, which they don't acknowledge in the first place as a real place. Um, I mean, if I was an Israeli and a Jew, which I am, I would never agree to such a thing. <clears throat> so, I mean, this right away you state the case, it seems impossible. Um, this is the, the 70th year anniversary of the state of Israel. And uh, for the Palestinians, <clears throat> it's the 70th anniversary of the expulsion and the, uh, the uh, escaping from uh, the Israelis in 1948. Uh, these people were fleeing their land um, or were thrown off their land inside the new state of Israel, driven out by uh, Jewish fighters, Israeli fighters, and probably by their own fear of what would happen to them. And not, you know, uh, not unlikely, because you see this all the time, and right up into the people who, in some cases, um, uh, you know, stimulated everybody and uh, provoked everybody, uh, you know, uh, leaders, uh, and in some cases, holy men, uh, provoked everybody to go to this fence and uh, try to storm into Israel. Um, so in the case of uh, the people who were driven out 70 years ago, um, some of them left of their own accord. Some of them left out of pure fear of what was happening to them because of the Israelis taking over. And others were probably uh, just afraid because uh, of fears drummed up by their religious or, you know, religious leaders. But this, this idea of the right of return is now something only the very old feel in their hearts and minds. You know, this is how it goes, right? History is the property sometimes of, uh, of old people. People, old people are the ones sometimes who hold on way longer than it's even necessary to do so or practical or even humane to do so. They hold on to the old grudges and the old beliefs. This is what happens, right? Um, still, in a lot of cases, you have to have sympathy for people um, who were driven off their land, the Palestinians, and this land had been in their families and in their culture for generations, hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And they were driven off their land. Uh, somebody once told me, yeah, the Canaanites weren't, the, they were there, but then they wandered away and these, uh, the Jews showed up and then they made the land blossom and bloom. And then the Canaanites came back and said, this belongs, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, this stuff belongs to everybody, but nobody can, nobody can share anything. <clears throat> sharing is the last thing anybody seems to ever want to do. My granddaughter now, um, who is not even yet two years old, <clears throat> but has been getting a good start on the, on the terrible twos, my daughter told me last night, my granddaughter has a habit now of grabbing things that she wants and saying very loudly, mine. <laughs> well, you know, what's new? Anyhow, but this... this this spectacle of what went on at the fence with 60 people being shot to death by Israeli soldiers and whatever, 1,000, 2,000 other people being also shot and injured by tear gas and uh, drone-released weapons and uh, basically shot mostly by Israeli rifles, uh, bullets from Israeli rifles. I mean, it's an awful thing to be looking at. Um, so, I mean, what you, everybody saw this. You had this um, <clears throat> split screen. You had um, uh, this shameless, brainless, 
woman, Ivanka Trump, just to say the words. It's like somebody dropping uh, a pile of manure into a deep well. Ivanka Trump. And her sleazy husband, Jared Kushner. Is, is there a worse couple in the world? Talk about royal families. <laughs> this is royal family in the negative, right? Anyhow, maybe all royal families are in the negative. So they're, they're standing there, and she's outside the pla- this big plaque, which you can't really read in the newspaper for the photos. Of, uh, and she's smiling, you know, in this uh, you know, bizarre, you know, clueless way she has. And her husband's there with his $5,000 shoes and his slick suit and his slick, slick face and his smarmy smile on his face. And other people were there, too. Steve Mnuchin the Treasury Secretary. I mean, if you're Jewish, let me tell you, if you're Jewish, it is so embarrassing. It makes you wince that these people are so prominent. Just like Gary Cohn, all these, Michael Cohn, rather. Michael Cohn, all these people. Gary Cohn is the broadcaster for the New York Mets. I apologize to him. Michael Cohn, the lawyer for Trump. Anytime somebody, and you you know this, if you're in any way um, a minority, you know, any any member of your group or your tribe or your religion or whatever it is, if you're a minority and they are featured prominently in some way which is despicable or immoral or criminal, it makes you wince because in a lot of ways it just backs up the old um, violent, nasty stereotypes of your group. Anyhow. <clears throat> But so you you see this split screen. You see these 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 smiling faces of these um, corrupt idiots standing there, and then right next to them you see um, you see uh, the uh, the dead bodies and the wounded uh, uh, chaos. The wounded in the chaos of the of the burning tire smoke and everything uh, in Gaza, uh, where they are attacking the fence, trying to breach the fence, and the Israelis are shooting them. It's just hard to keep your mind together when you watch these two things. And really, the, 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 the incredible inhumanity of the Israelis' treatment of the Palestinians, especially in Gaza, uh, when nobody has a job, it's one of the worst places in the world to live. <clears throat> I mean, you see these pictures in the newspaper of poverty-stricken countries everywhere where there are famines and there's uh, disease and there's nothing to eat. And there's some pretty awful places in the world, Yemen, uh, Venezuela now, Sudan, other places in the world that are just, you know, really uh, indescribably, they're horror, horror shows. <clears throat> but Gaza is one of the worst. I mean, nobody there has a job or they have any money. There's no money. There's no way of getting in or out because the Israelis uh, surround the place entirely. Um, I mean, this kind of thing just can't go on. How long can it go on? It's a wrong thing. It's deeply wrong in every way. I mean, the incidence of severe mental illness uh, in a population, in any given population, it's larger here than any other place in the world, except maybe for the White House. But uh, they at least get to function and they have lots of money. Gaza really has turned into a prison camp. It's, in fact, it's worse. It's a huge poverty-stricken kind of concentration camp, and I use those words deliberately. Um, there is, uh, you know, high incidence of, as I mentioned, psychosis, suicide, child mortality rates are high. <clears throat> the, they, the Palestinians, are surrounded on all sides 
by the fences uh, bordering Israel and the Israeli uh, military. They don't have their own way of getting out. No airport, no ports of their own. Uh, nothing and no one comes in or out of this place without the Israelis' permission. And it's a small place. There's a couple of million people living in this place, and it's really small. Look at it on a map. It's only a few square miles um, wide. I mean, you could drive across it in an hour, maybe less. It's an extraordinarily small place. So nobody comes in or out of this place without Israelis' permission. Uh, the Israelis' permission, and uh, it's an intolerable situation. It's it's conducive to a permanent state of passive dependence, and then the uh, what comes out of that is uh, violent rage. And the Israelis and the Jews, uh, and you look at the, um, uh, the the renaissance, like I mentioned before, the renaissance anti-Semitism in Europe and Russia, where you can't say it's, that it's just new. Basically, it's just soaring up again. It never really went away. The Israelis, uh, Jews, <clears throat> they have every right to fear for their lives. I know I'm going back and forth in this, but it's a hard thing to, uh, to understand and to figure out what to do about. Um, so the Israelis... Because they've been victims uh, for 1,500 years, does that exempt them from being racist and religious tyrants themselves? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. With the Palestinians, as complicated and real a threat as they are, the Jews as a nation, I think they finally have had a chance to dominate and exercise uh, their power over another group of people after being victims for 1,500 years. And uh, this kind of thing, that must have been, I mean, the Jews who came there to create Israel, I mean, it was Zionism way before Israel was created. But um, the Jews who finally got there after World War II, um, you know, the idea of having a Jewish state and like in this theoretically uh, or actually a traditional homeland, you know, that they had been, uh, that where had been, <clears throat> they had been flourishing and, 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 you know, it was a biblical homeland for thousands of years. The people who came there in 1948, they had nowhere else to go. And, um, I mean, even the United States, you know, the home of the brave, the land of the free, um, didn't accept. Hundreds of thousands of Jews could have been saved from the Holocaust um, if the United States, talk about immigration, had opened its doors in the 1930s to Jews from Europe. But they had all sorts of reasons not to. They could have been spies. Meanwhile, everybody who ran the State Department, who was in charge of admitting people or vetting people to come into the United States, were uh, the worst kind of anti-Semitic wasps, the worst, the worst kinds of people, you know, genteel people uh, who went to the best schools and came from, quote unquote, the best families. They didn't want any Jews in the country, so let them all die. Anyhow, um, so people show up in this place. And uh, finally, you know, the ones who aren't communists and socialists are thanking God. Finally, we're back in the promised land. There's nowhere else on earth to go. Everybody else wants to kill us. Good. They have a place to go. Meanwhile, when they show up, they find for the first time in 1,500 years, imagine this, there's a group of people that they can kick their ass. How attractive that must have been, right? And, uh, you know, here's the Jews being... Um, Coming from places, like I said, they're always pushed around. <clears throat> they're bullied, they're insulted, they're attacked, and there's nothing they could do about it for, you know, 1,500 years, but gnash their teeth and pray to God for deliverance and revenge. And finally, um, if you want revenge, there's the Palestinians. 
1948, uh, a lot of them Palestinians got uh, kicked off their land, and they've been treated like shit for 70 years. This is a way, I don't know how this goes, with, and, and, but th- then there's history to contend with, modern history, where the Palestinians um, uh, <clears throat> had their intifada and, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, attacked Israelis. There were suicide bombers, uh, murders in the streets in Israel. That's why they put up the fence, right? Um, <clears throat> anyhow, so, and then there's the Israeli response to the intifada and on and on and on so that even young Jews now, people who weren't, uh, you know, survivors of the Holocaust and uh, didn't have that tradition of being bullied. I mean, there's people who live in Israel now, uh, generations of people who, aside from being surrounded by people who want to kill them and uh, the anti-Semitism of the world, have never been bullied. They're the bullies. And this is a whole different way of the experience of being Jewish in history, right? Uh, As far as one state, two state... It seems to be the only solution, maybe, as long as people are talking about being expelled from, you know, we're talking about being expelled from land and then resettled and who got there first and everything and who was chased away. The only solution, it seems to me, and it's, I've said this before, would be for all the illegal Israeli settlements in East Jerusalem and the occupied West Bank to be closed down and the residents move back into Israel proper, just the way the... Uh, the Israelis uh, pulled uh, everybody from Gaza in 2005. Um, and the hell with biblical promises, the land promised by God and all that. This situation here that's going on now is too serious to let ancient mythology dictate what happens in the here and now. And the Israelis, uh, and think of these Saudi madrasas all over the Middle East teaching hatred of Jews, and the Koran itself, by the way. Um, the Israelis have every right to fear a strong, independent Palestinian state. But on the other hand, they cannot continue forever being tyrants and destroying people's uh, you know, minds and bodies. So I say, move all the Jews out of the West Bank. And then what do you do about Gaza? And like I say, Gaza is this little tiny place between Egypt um, uh, and uh, the rest of and, and Israel. Little tiny place. Maybe move all the Palestinians out of Gaza, you know, and um, it's just a few miles square. Move them all out. Move them to new homes in the West Bank. Give the land that belongs to, that's, you know, the the Palestinians are on in Gaza now. Give it to the Israelis. Then establish two states. One state would be Israel, including Gaza. The other state would be the West Bank and the part where the Palestinians live in now, between Jordan and Israel. Um, But the Palestinians, then you say, they'd have no coast, no access to the sea. You know what? Everybody has something to lose in any kind of deal. And, uh, you know, the Israelis and the Iranians and the Saudis uh, having, and this is what part of my proposition here, the Israelis, the Iranians, the Saudis, other people who have oppressed the Palestinians, including the United States and other, other places, having oppressed the Palestinians or used them as pawns, I think should contribute billions, billions, tens of billions of dollars uh, to construct new towns and cities in the West Bank, sewage lines, electrical cable lines, build airports, a rail system, factories, businesses, you know, bring irrigation, modern science, modern farms, uh, clean up and modernize and build existing towns and cities and uh, build new ones. Um, And the Israelis, I mean, for instance, the Israelis who occupy 
the West Bank have taken over the best water, in some cases the best land. This has got to go back um, to the, um, this has just got to go back to the Palestinians. It seems only fair. It's only right. It's uh, theft that's going on here now. It's bullying. Um, the Israelis will always have to have, no matter what's, what's the, where they're located or what it is, they will always, they are doomed to always having to have a large and very effective military, whether they like it or not. And that's a terrible way to live anyhow, but it looks like that's the way it's going to be. And they have to have a very uh, high-level spy apparatus, and they have to have nuclear weapons to threaten everybody with. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, uh, I think they would have a lot, uh, a lot to fear more than they even have now. They will never be able to rest the Israelis. There will probably always be a wall around the whole country. Uh, imagine, imagine what that's like living in a country completely surrounded by a wall. I mean, Trump, the asshole, wants to build a wall, you know, between uh, Mexico and the United States, and probably will never be. But <clears throat> this is a smaller country. They've surrounded their entire country by a fence or a wall, uh, and or uh, military emplacements, permanent military emplacements. And having a wall around your whole country cements, to use a certain word, cements the perception uh, and the feeling of isolation from the world. Basically what it's saying is the people inside this wall are different and have to be separated in some way, that there is something inherently different and indeed poisonous about them, so they have to be isolated. This is what that wall says in perpetuity, you know. But then going back, like I'm going back and forth here, the Jews uh, throughout history, uh, European history mostly, but history um, in that whole area, they were raped, they were tortured, they were forcibly converted, they were murdered, um, stolen from, and stigmatized for all that time by Europeans. And it culminated in the, in the mass murders of the Spanish Inquisition, the Russian pogroms, and finally the Nazis, Right. So after World War II, and against the will of the British and the Arabs, they get themselves to Palestine. And some of the Jews turn into terrorists, out-and-out -out terrorists. They kill British soldiers and diplomats and innocent people, blew people up, shot people. Finally, in 1948, the world says, okay, it's enough, out of compassion and sympathy and guilt or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> they, uh, they have their own country. They have their own parliament, their own army. And the Jews uh, say, I think they still say this, never again. And you can understand why. And you have an Old Testament God uh, that they believe in, or a lot of them believe in, uh, who never shied away from killing his enemies. Just read the, uh, also called unbelievers, by the way. Same as in the Quran. Just read the Old Testament. Um, but uh, again, so, you know, this is the case for the Jews and for the Israelis and for Israel. But still... You look at what's happening in Gaza, and so for decades now, the Israelis have been building up the worst kind of karma, a shameful record, really, a shameful record, something to be ashamed of, get callous brutal brutality towards the Palestinians. It's uh, time to get it all over with. Easy to say, though. But to do that, you need reasonable people on both sides, and... Um, now we seem to be further away from that than we ever were before. And it's made worse by Trump and his, um, his evangelical backers. Trump and these evangelical people, these awful, ignorant, vicious people, 
uh, and Trump's war-loving colleagues like Bolton and everybody else, um, they have dropped any pretense of supporting a fair and uh, equitable solution. No other power in the world will do that. You know, the USA was sponsoring the Camp David agreements and uh, <clears throat> the USA uh, was um, was trying to bring peace in their own in their own way. Uh, or some American presidents were. Now Trump and his pals and his evangelical backers have thrown that all into the trash. They're 100% behind the Israeli right wing. And whatever the Israelis say and whatever they want to do, <clears throat> the Trump's backing them up. And the Palestinians have been thrown in the trash by the United States. And who else is going to back up the Palestinians? Their own co-religionists have never done a very good job of it. Uh, and Gaza, 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 I don't know. Maybe as small, even as small as it is, <clears throat> it could be, it could be uh, administered by the United Nations or some, let's say, new international body. And uh, why not make it into an international park, a neutral space? Maybe, uh, you know, with the right irrigation planting and stocked with rare and disappearing uh, animals, ponds, lakes, a vast park, no weapons and especially no churches or mosques or synagogues. Just a place where everyone can visit but uh, not live or claim land for any reason. It's the land, this who owns the land that results in so many millions of deaths. I mean, <clears throat> Gaza, you know, is never officially part of Palestine or Israel. Just a place that sort of got created. I mean, you know, it existed, but then it, on the map it just got created in uh, 1949 and then it's been a football between Israel and Egypt and the Palestinians ever since. So I say, forget about Moses and Muhammad and Jesus, uh, you know, and while we're dragging poor old tired God into this, why not give him, her, a chance to start up uh, the Garden of Eden again? Start from the beginning, get it right. Gaza is actually not too far in terms of distances on Earth, on the planet, from the original Garden of Eden. Anyhow, my commentary went off like that. But um, the, uh, the article in Times continues. <clears throat> the event, says Michelle Goldberg, was grotesque. <clears throat> it was a consummation of the cynical alliance between hawkish Jews and Zionist evangelicals who believe that the return of the Jews to Israel will usher in the apocalypse and the return of Christ. This is what this kind of thing is based on, that people will die, that people are dying based on this ancient child's fairy tales, the return of Christ, the apocalypse. God, to use a certain word. Uh, so the evangelicals, they believe the return of, of Jews to Israel will usher in the apocalypse and the return of Christ, <clears throat> after which Jews who don't convert will burn forever. That's right. That's what they believe. Uh, this, this spectacle geared toward Donald Trump's Christian-American base coincided with a massacre that we've been talking about about 40 miles away. This is the Times article. Since March 30th, there have been mass protests at the fence separating Gaza and Israel. Gazans facing an escalating humanitarian crisis due in large part <clears throat> to an Israeli blockade are demanding the right to return to homes in Israel that their families were forced from uh, at Israel's founding. The demonstrators have been mostly but not entirely peaceful. 
Gazans have thrown rocks at Israeli soldiers and tried to fly flaming kites into Israel. Uh, the Israeli military has responded with live gunfire as well as rubber bullets and tear gas. In clashes on Monday, this is this last Monday, at least 58 Palestinians were killed and thousands wounded, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. And by the way, while we're talking about this, go off from the article, um, Hamas and uh, religious leaders in the West Bank are very much to blame for a lot of these people being dead, right? Um, they uh, really provoked people. And now, what you've got is a situation where the Gazans are living in abject misery with no hope whatsoever and um, inheriting the rage of their, um, of their recent ancestors who were kicked off the land, living in this refugee camp, which is basically what Gaza is, for uh, 70 years and living in the worst possible circumstances possibly that you can imagine, along with or maybe not as bad, but like Yemen or Sudan. I mean, living in an awful place. And um, they were ready to, uh, to, uh, to lose it. They were ready to attack the Israelis. And it that's what Hamas understands, and that's what the imams in the West Bank understand. And they um, they sent these people right straight to the fence. Men, women, be martyrs, you know, be martyrs. You'll go, you know, attack the Israelis, the evil infidels, the pigs, um, and, by the way, the oppressors. So it's all the same thing at the same time. All, you know, these things at the same time. It's complicated, right? Um, but they push these people out. I mean, you see children... Uh, having been shot and killed. There was one case of an infant, uh, an eight-month-old baby being shot and killed. Actually, this baby was killed by, they think, by tear gas dropped by the Israelis, so the baby had a heart condition, so they don't really know. But why were all these women and children, children, being shot? Why were they at the fence? What were they doing there? And how many of these people who were killed, the Israelis insist a lot of them were actually Hamas uh, fighters, Who knows? I don't know. Obviously, it's just wrong, though. And continuing in this article, the juxtaposition of images of dead and wounded Palestinians and Ivanka Trump smiling in Jerusalem like a Zionist Marie Antoinette tell us a lot about America's relationship to Israel right now. It has never been closer. But within that closeness, there are seeds of potential estrangement. But I wanted to mention that uh, these evangelical preachers, they're some of the worst evangelical preachers and the most powerful ones, Baptists, both of them from Texas. The opening um, prayer at this ceremony to open the new uh, U.S. um, embassy and the closing prayer uh, were delivered by evangelical preachers, both of whom uh, said that Jews are going to hell, that Jews would burn in, in their time, not recently, said that Jews would burn in hell that God doesn't listen to their prayers, that, uh, <clears throat> that the Jews will all, uh, when Christ comes, uh, all the Jews will burn in hell forever. These are the people that the right-wing Israelis are cozying up to. This is how sleazy and disgusting and corrupt all this is. Anyhow, defenders of Israel's actions in Gaza, says the article, will argue no country would allow a mob to, change, to charge its borders. They will say that even if Hamas didn't call the protests, it has thrown its support behind them. Quote, the responsibility for these tragic deaths 
rests squarely with Hamas, a White House spokesman, Raj Shah, Jesus, said on Monday, Raj Shah. Where did he dig these people up from? You know, not his name, but uh, I don't know, anybody, a White House spokesperson? What kind of job is that to have? But even if you completely dismiss the Palestinian uh, right of return, which I find harder to, this is the economist, which I find harder to do now that Israel's leadership has all been all but abandoned the possibility of a Palestinian state, it hardly excuses the Israeli military, uh, their disproportionate violence, which is what a lot of people think. Um, much of the world has condemned the killings in Gaza. Yet the United States, Israel's most important patron, has now given it a free hand to do with the Palestinians whatever it will. That's the, the right-wing government of Israel. Indeed, by moving the embassy to Jerusalem in the first place, Trump sent the most implicit message that the American government has ever given up, um, has ever given before. There is no longer any pretense of neutrality. Um, you know, so reports of Israel's gratitude um, <clears throat> to Trump abound. A square near the embassy is being renamed in his honor. They're, the Israeli right-wing government is naming a square in Israel after Trump, Trump Square in the middle of Israel. I mean, and it gets worse and worse and worse. But um, And the article goes on, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. I don't have time, and I know you don't want to hear me just reading. Um, it says here, <clears throat> Trump has empowered what's worst in Israel, uh, what's worst in Israel. And as long as he's president, uh, it may be that Israel can kill Palestinians, demolish their homes, and appropriate their land with impunity. Uh, but someday Trump will be gone, and we have to deal with uh, you know, the, uh, the result of all this. <clears throat> and I say, we clearly, we're living in a time of disaster and destruction and war. There's not even a pretense of cooperation or joining or sharing together anymore. It, like my granddaughter says, not to cast her in this you know, crew here, but she says, mine, right? So the whole world is acting like a 19-month-old uh, child. Uh, and everywhere you look, corruption, mass murder, tyranny, dictatorships everywhere, reason and humanity are fading concepts. It's a time of destruction. And I think that it's, but you know, but still, no matter how bad it is, it's our duty as human beings to do everything we can, right? To oppose this sinking of humanity into a primeval swamp. If there ever was a God, it was the universal human need for peace and love. And uh, I think the first step is that... Um, you know, is getting rid of the Republicans. Start from our country, right? Charity begins at home. Generosity, peace begins at home. Throwing out the Republicans and Trump out of government. And then to the extent the USA has, uh, should have influence in the world, and that's a good subject for an argument, to the extent we have any influence, it should be humanitarian and not just exclusively violent. And the next step, in my opinion, get rid of every mosque and synagogue and temple and church in the world. Turn them all into clinics or schools or daycare centers. If people want to worship God, let them do it by themselves or in small groups or in remote holy spots, right? Uh, or in each other's houses or apartments. That's the way it all started out to begin with. And basically all religion started out in the hearts and souls of individuals uh, in the first place. It's all this aggregation of power and influence and ownership that perverts the yearning for something greater and more benevolent than what appears to be available on earth. Personally, when it comes to religion, uh, I was always attracted to Buddhism. No God, no heaven, 
and earth, just the beauty of the here and now. So this violence continues over there. I don't know what will happen, but uh, you can only hope for the best. I mean, some people will just pray for the best. Who knows what's going to work?
Oh 